All right, welcome this morning. So glad to have you here. We're going to be continuing our series on the elementary principles of Christ this morning, and uh, we're going to be talking about baptisms still. So before we get started, let's pray just real briefly once more. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We thank you to be gathered together here as one body in one spirit to give praise to one Lord in the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we open up your word, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word with understanding, Lord, and a joyful obedience. So Father, we ask that you would have your way. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and speak and teach as you desire to, Father, that you would just move me out of the way, Lord God, and that you would have your way this morning. So bless us and shepherd us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay. So this morning, we're going to be talking again about baptism. Now, last week, we covered um, a, a very particular passage in Matthew chapter 3. And in Matthew chapter 3, we see what's actually listed is three baptisms. And so the, the series, the premise of the series is based actually out of Hebrews. And so we'll turn to Hebrews first and just do a quick little recap. And in Hebrews chapter 6, the author of Hebrew, uh, he, he's talking about moving on past the elementary principles of Christ so that we can go into maturity. But by doing so, he lists what those elementary principles of Christ are. And they are the uh, repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, which is really what is the gospel. Secondly, we have the doctrine of baptisms. Following that, we have laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, and of eternal judgment. So these are five points that the author of Hebrews calls elementary principles of Christ. So my desire in this series is just to help lay a very strong foundation for us so we all have the same mind and the same judgment about these things. Now, as I pointed out last week, it's very interesting, especially when I remember, I remember first reading this uh, years ago, long, long time ago, and I read through it and I said, the doctrine of baptisms... What in the world does that mean? Why is there an S there? And um, so in Matthew 3, John the Baptist is speaking, and he kind of gives us a, a, a little shot, uh, almost a screenshot. That's, that's how, how much of the digital age we're in. He gives us a little snapshot of what he's talking about there. So in Matthew chapter 3, I'm going to read through this again, verses 4 through 12, we have John the Baptist. He's out in the Jordan River. And people are coming to him from all over to to confess their sins and to be baptized to make way for the coming of the Lord Jesus. So as John is doing this ministry, we have these Pharisees that come to him, and they too want to be baptized. But John says, no, I'm sorry, I I I don't think so. How about you first go show the fruit of real repentance, and then I'll baptize you. And so in in Matthew 3, verses 4 through 12, it says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And now, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. That's us, trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, here in this next section, this is where he's going to list these things out. I want you to, to catch the three baptisms here. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. And so last week, we spent our whole time talking about what is baptism? Where does it come from? How is it rooted in the Old Testament? And when we're baptized in water, what does that mean for us today? So if you weren't unable to catch that, it's available on our website at friendshipbible.com. You can find the sermon there. So we have the baptism of water unto repentance. And it says, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, Jesus will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so they are. There they are. In one passage, the three baptisms that we find uh, in the scriptures, we have the baptism of water unto repentance, which we covered last week. We have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then we have the baptism of fire, three baptisms. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on what does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? And for the baptism of fire, we're actually going to save that till we go over um, one of the other basic principles, which is uh, eternal judgment. We'll save that for another time. I'll leave you hanging a little bit. Um, but again, what does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? So let me just let me just bring you up to date to some things that you may or may not be familiar with. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, there is a lot, and I mean a lot, of questions. There are a lot of doctrines. There are a lot of beliefs. There are a lot of teachings. There are a lot of things that are spoken and thrown around about who the Holy Spirit is what the Holy Spirit does, and, you know, if someone is, is, is prophesying, are they prophesying by the Spirit of God, or are they prophesying by another spirit? If you walk into a church and people are barking, is that a, is that a sign of the Holy Spirit? I mean, what is going on? There's a lot of confusion, chaos, and questions um, all across the, the, the spectrum of Christian denomination. One of the most prevalent ones is um, called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to start by addressing that. Has anybody ever heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Anybody? A couple people? Anybody else? Okay. So I want to start by saying this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is, is very biblical. Very, very, very biblical. However, there, there is a, a problem for us in definitions. So it's kind of like Jesus is Lord. Everybody agree with that? Jesus is Lord? Okay. That's great. Guess what? Jehovah Witnesses believe that. Mormons believe that. They believe Jesus is Lord. Except their definition of what it means for Jesus to be Lord and our definition of what it means for Jesus to be Lord is very, very different. If you talk to a Mormon and a Jehovah Witness, Jesus is not God in flesh. He's not. Lord does not mean Lord over all heaven and earth. That's not what it means to them. Okay, But in the Christian context... Because the, the religion of Jehovah Witness, the religion of Mormon is not Christian, okay? In a Christian context, when we say Jesus is Lord, 
That means he is absolute sovereign ruler and creator over all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. He is Lord over all. He is Lord over my life. He has all authority, all dominion. There is no other. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess because Jesus is Lord. So the way we define that is pretty important. Um, The same thing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. People ask me all the time, well, do you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, brother? And I say, well, yes, brother, I do. But probably not the way you do. (laughs) And so there is a teaching, and I'm only bringing this up because it's very prominent, and you may not have been exposed to it, but you probably will be one day. There is a teaching that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that happens after salvation, and it brings um, a, a new depth of relationship to God. So let me give you a little, just a little brief synopsis of this. To to a lot of denominations, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this. You get saved, okay? You believe in Jesus, now you're saved. But you're like kind of saved until you get more saved. And when you get more saved, it's because the Holy Spirit falls upon you and then you're supernaturally empowered and you can speak in tongues and you can prophesy and you can do all these things. And uh, some, it, it varies from place to place. Some of them will even say, if you cannot speak in tongues, which the Bible nowhere lists as a universal gift, by the way, and it never says is the greatest of gifts. Actually, Paul calls speaking in tongues the least of all gifts, and it only edifies the person, not the body. Uh, but they'll say, unless you speak in tongues, you have not been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Very common doctrine, okay? And so a better way to state that is that the, for a lot of people, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what we could call a second baptism, okay? Everybody with me? Everybody? So there, it's the doctrine of second baptism, that you're saved, but then you still need to be baptized by the Spirit. And if you're not, you're just totally missing something. And some people, they get it all at once. Some people don't. Um, like I said, very, very prominent belief. However, I want to take you through the New Testament. I want to look at some scriptures about the Holy Spirit to find out, A, is that true? And B, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit scripturally, and why is it important for us? Amen? Okay. So let's talk about the basis of, of a baptism of the Holy Spirit. In John 3, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 8, we'll just start with Jesus' own words. And I think we read some of this last week as well, so we're doing a little bit of overlap, but that's okay. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. Nicodemus. There we go. Faith, you were A+. Plus. Um, a ruler of the Jews. So, so this guy is a, a prominent member of the Jewish uh, people. He is a teacher. Jesus is about to call him the teacher of Israel. Right? He knows the Old Testament like nobody's business. He is at the top end of worship, the top end of obedience. I guarantee if we were going to have a, a Bible off on the Old Testament, I would lose to this guy probably. He's got this stuff literally memorized. Okay? And he says, uh, so Nicodemus comes to Jesus. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, we, the Pharisees, know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I can agree with that. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, hold up. Pause real quick. This always tripped me out. Actually, when when this snapped in my brain, it changed the way I ministered to people forever. I want you to think about this. 
I don't know what Jesus is doing at night. I don't know if he's just like standing out in the street corner or like if he's in someone's house, I don't know. But Nicodemus, one of the most prominent people in Israel comes to Jesus secretly at night. And he's like, Jesus, like, hey, I wanna talk to you. I know you're from God. We, we all know you're from God because there's no way you could do this unless you're from God, right? Now, if someone came to me like that, I'd be like, okay, what are you getting at? Okay, what's your question? Why are you here? You know what I mean? Like, what's going on? Jesus doesn't do that. Look at it. Jesus completely ignores everything he says, and he cuts straight to the point. Jesus just says, hey, by the way, uh, unless you're born again, you don't get into my kingdom. What? We weren't even talking about a kingdom. Jesus, and Jesus said, no, I'm talking about the kingdom. Jesus cut through all the religious mumbo jumbo. He cut through any chance of this guy being able to justify. He didn't even ask him why he was there. He just says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, the Greek word is anathen. Everybody say anathen. It means born from above or born again a second time from the original source. Born again, born from above. Unless you're born from above, you will not enter the kingdom. This is like one of the most righteous dudes in all of Israel. And Jesus is saying, it's, that's not going to cut it for you, buddy. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What the heck? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay, so he, he totally misses what's, what's going on here. Verse 5, Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In John 7, verses 37 through 39, Jesus is, is at the feasts. Um, I forget which feast. He's at one of the feasts. Um, it probably, is it the Feast of Tabernacles? That would make sense. Okay, so he's at the feast, and in the middle of this feast, everybody's eating and having a good time, and Jesus just, you know, doing what he wants like always. He just stands up in the middle of this feast, and he says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, listen to this, would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, it's, it's very interesting, like I said, the, the wide variety of beliefs about the Holy Spirit, especially when the Scripture, when you just put them together, is so clear. I had to do a thesis on um, the paradigms of the Holy Spirit between the Old Testament and New Testament for, for, uh, for school. I had to write a, like a 30-something page of paper, whatever. And I'm looking through all of these commentaries, because I have to. I have to use sources, right? They don't want your opinion, apparently. And I'm reading through all of these very well-known pastors and teachers, um, and in the face of Scripture, they just totally get it wrong. One of them, very, very well-known and respectable man, and I, has great commentaries. His name is uh, James Montgomery Boyce. Very, very well-known, great teacher. Yet in John, 
chapter 4, right after this episode with Nicodemus, there's a passage you might be familiar with. It's Jesus and the, the woman at the well. Anybody ever heard that story? And what does he tell the woman at the well? He says, hey, if you would have realized who you're talking to, you're here to get water. If you would have asked me for a drink, I would have given you living waters, and you would have never thirsted again. And James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary says, now Jesus isn't talking about the Holy Spirit there. I'm like, okay, well, what the heck is he talking about? Because here in chapter 7, he says almost the exact same thing. If you believe in me, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And as I talk to pastors and ministry leaders about their ministry and about the way they do ministry, I take them to this verse and I say, is this your experience? Is this how you're doing ministry? Is this how you follow Jesus? You seek him in such a way that life just flows out of your heart. Is that your Christian walk? Because that's what Jesus desires for us, for life to just spring up in his presence and to just flow out. And it says here about these living waters that Jesus talked about in John 4, that he talks about here in John 7. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, so what happens? Let me give you a, a quick overview Jesus is crucified, he dies, he's buried. Three days later, what happens? He rises again, amen? He rises again, right? And the fruit of that work, everything in the Old Testament told us something very clear. You're separated from God in your sin. 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 You can only come so close to the Holy of the Holies. You cannot be in his presence. You're unclean. You need to be cleansed. You need to be sprinkled with blood. You need to, all these things, why? Because you're separated from God in your sin. That is the message of the Old Testament, in case you didn't catch that. And so Jesus comes because we are separated from God in our sin, and because we are simply awaiting judgment according to our own works. And he comes as the only perfect sacrifice, the only sacrifice that pleases God. He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And when he pays the price once and for all, done forever, the Father is pleased and satisfied with his payment, and the proof the proof that that payment is accepted is that he conquers death and he rises again. So now, the reality is, we are no longer separated from God in our sin. Not because you could do anything, not because you have good works, but because of the payment of Jesus. And so God wants to prove that to you in the fact that if you believe on him and call on the name of Jesus Christ, not only does he promise you eternal life, but he comes and dwells in you personally himself in the presence of his Holy Spirit. And that could not happen until Jesus was glorified because before the Old Testament, you know what the reality was? We were separated from God in our sin. That is no longer for those who believe. So in Acts chapter two, the, the apostles are called to wait until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit falls on them like tongues of fire. They all begin to speak in tongues, and everybody hears them in different languages. And, and Peter stands up and he preaches. 
And he preaches the gospel to all these Jews. And it says in Acts 2, 37 through 39. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Man, that's called conviction. I mean, you just feel cut to the heart. Praise the Lord for it. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, this is the right response in repentance. Men and brother, God, even, what shall I do? That's a repentant response. What do I need to do? Then Peter said to them, repent, turn away, and let every one of you be baptized. This is the water baptism, right? The baptism of clear conscience, the cleansing, right? You can look up that sermon from last week on, online. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And, there's an and there, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God will come live in you. He will change you from the inside out. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. It's called the promise of the Father. Well, what promise? Well, it's actually listed in the Old Testament that the day would come when God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. When Moses was leading Israel in the wilderness, he was the only one that the Holy Spirit would come upon. And so he was given the power and the authority and the wisdom to lead these people. And then at one point, he calls out, the Lord tells him to call out the elders. And the elders are called out into the wilderness. And it says that God took the spirit that was on Mo Moses and poured it out upon the elders. And there were even some of the people who were still in the camp that didn't come out like they were supposed to. And even they started speaking the wonders of God. And, and I forget who it is, maybe Caleb or Joshua, they run out to Moses and it's like, Moses, these guys are doing these things. And, and Moses is like, man, praise the Lord. I wish that God would pour out his spirit on all his saints. That day has come where God pours out his spirit on all his saints. And it was promised in the Old Testament. And so we have Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon the Jews. We have Acts 8, it falls upon the Samaritans. And in Acts 10, it falls upon the Gentiles. And now the kingdom of God has been opened to the whole world. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, this is where we're going to get down to the nitty gritty. Okay, this is where we're going to get down to, to the real um, fine points of theology here. It's very simple, though. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, I want you to pay very close attention. In him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Listen to this. It's very clear. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I lost it. Ooh, where'd it go? There we go. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You could not craft a more strong and dense way to say that once God has given you his spirit, you are his and, it is, and your salvation is guaranteed. There's no stronger way to say that. And so in in, in one short passage, in two verses, we have both what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the moment you believe the Holy Spirit comes upon you and indwells you forever and you are sealed, done, deal. Not later, not if you pray enough, not if you're pious enough, not if you work for it enough. I was in Romania and I was at this, uh, this corporate headquarters for 
a, a uh, missionary organization, and I walk into this kitchen, and there's these two 17, 18-year-old, there's a guy and a girl, and they're just on their face crying and praying and crying and praying. And of course, they're speaking Romanian, so I have no idea what's going on. So I just go over, and I get on my face, too, and I start praying, and, you know, I wasn't crying, but, you know, I did my best, and uh, I was praying, and finally, they raise up, and I'm like, there's one of them that can kind of speak English, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And they say, well, they're just mourning, they're crying out to the Lord um, because they don't have the Spirit. And I'm like, what? That's kind of a weird thing for someone that doesn't have the Spirit to be doing. And, <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, they, they can't speak in tongues. And I'm like, man, and I just, my heart just broke. My heart just broke because that's what they're taught. If you can't speak in tongues, you don't have the Spirit. You're, you're missing it. You got it? And they're just so fervently crying out to the Lord and they're just so broken because they just don't have this perfect relationship with God because they can't speak in tongues. And I said, man, that's, that, I, was, I understand. I said, guess what? They said, what? Of course, I've already been there for like a week. I've already been preaching. I've been going church to church. Okay, they've heard it. They've seen the power of the Spirit move. And I said, man, uh, I don't either. What? And their minds were blown. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, dude, like, haven't you ever read the scriptures? And I just opened up to the scriptures, and it's very simple. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, are all apostles? What's the expected answer? No. Are all prophets? Do all speak in tongues? The scripture is simple. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit real? Absolutely. Is it biblical? Absolutely. Is it some sort of second supernatural... No, 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 not necessarily. We see in Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, when the Holy Spirit, or when the kingdom of God is first opened to these nation categories, Jews, Samaritan, Gentiles, that's the whole world. We do see signs, we do see tongues, we do see prophecy, and, there's, and Peter, because he sees this, he understands, oh my gosh, the Gentiles just got the Holy Spirit like we did. Ding, 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 ding. But the rest of the book of Acts when the, right there in Acts 2, when the 5,000 or 3,000 people come to Christ and he baptizes them, do they speak in tongues and prophesy? A couple chapters, you know, next chapter or two, when another two, 3,000 come to Christ, do they speak in tongues and prophesy? For all those listening and recording, I'm shaking my head no. Um, the jailer and his family, when they come to Christ, do they speak in tongues and prophesy? No, they don't. Okay? That is not somehow some sort of standard of spiritual life. Ephesians 1 and 13, 14 says that when you believe you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is your guarantee of inheritance. And it says that like in several different places. I could have listed a bunch of verses. We'll do one more. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Okay? So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural indwelling of God's presence in you. That is not something you can achieve. That is not something you can do. That is not something I can give you. If you pray a prayer and give your life to Jesus, quote unquote, and you're not really converted in your heart, if God hasn't given you new life, ain't nothing I can do for you, okay? What am I going to do? Say something that's true that God is not saying is true? That's not how it works. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a gift of God, and it's a free gift to all those who believe. And it is that truth and that fulfillment, that 
that, uh, what's the word? My vocabulary bank is very low right now. I need more coffee. Uh, it's the sign that the work of Christ for you is true and is done, that you are not separated from God. That's what it is. In Romans 8 and 9, it says this, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now listen to this. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. You're either his or you're not. There is no half saved, okay? You're not, you know, A team Christian, B team Christian. You're either his or you're not, okay? I don't, does anybody need me to interpret this, right? It's very simple. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're not his. If you do, you are. Done deal, praise the Lord. People always say, well, how do you know if someone's really saved? People come to me, how do I know if I'm saved? I'm like, I thought you were. <laughs> the only proof of salvation is has the Holy Spirit entered your life? Do you see in a way you, you didn't see? Do you love in a way you couldn't love before? Do you know God in a way that was dead to you? Have you been given new life by Jesus? And if so, there it is. Typically, if people are asking me, do I have the Holy Spirit? And typically, if they're really worried about whether or not they've blasphemed the Holy Spirit or not, they haven't done that. And if they're asking, they probably have it. Because people who are lost in the world without the Spirit of God aren't so concerned with those things. Okay? Now, that's not always the case, but typically so. So, again, the word baptism is very simple. It means submerged. Everybody say submerged. Okay? I tell people all the time, you ready to go get baptized? You want to know what baptized means? It means dunked. We're going to dunk you in some water. Done deal. There you go. It's that simple. So to be baptized by the Holy Spirit is, is simply this, that when you believe you are submerged in the person of Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. We have so much theology and so many workbooks and, oh, the Father does this and the Spirit does this and Christ does it. And it's like we forget that it's just it's one God. And so the Holy Spirit is Jesus in you. Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, me and the Father, we're going to make a dwelling place in you. You will bear fruit and your fruit will remain if you simply abide in us. Right? And so the Holy Spirit comes. We're baptized in the Spirit so that we can do something that we could have never done on our own. Which is walk in a way pleasing to God. We could have never loved in a way that pleases God, because everything about our love is selfish, but the Holy Spirit in us suddenly produces the supernatural love that's pleasing to God, because it's his love, not ours. Praise the Lord. He produces something in us to let us serve selfless, selfishly, selflessly, oh gosh, in such a way that pleases God, because it's his service just pouring through us, not our own. He allows us to speak and to see things that are hidden that nobody could know about someone's life except for God. But guess what? God is in us, right? And it's just his power moving. Prophecy is not saying some really good stuff about someone's life and hoping God makes it happen. If God didn't speak to you first, just be quiet. That's not prophecy. I'm serious, okay? In Galatians 5, 22, 25, or 22 through 25, it says this about the Spirit in us, that there is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to know if the Holy Spirit's in you? Here, well, guess what? Fruit trees, they produce what? Man, y'all are so smart. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we, if you have received the Spirit, if we now live in the Spirit, then just do this one thing. Walk in the Spirit. No longer walk in the desires and passions of your flesh. No longer walk in your thinking and your ways. Conform your heart and your mind to Jesus every day through prayer, through submission, and through his word. And allow the Holy Spirit to ask God, he, he's in you. He's not far off. Lord, stir up within me and lead me. Show me. Speak to me. Let me serve you. And he's going to say yes and amen. Because all the promises in Christ are yes and amen. So I want to read one last passage. And we're going to close. And this is, uh, this is Jesus' kind of basic discourse on what the Holy Spirit does when he comes. And for us now, he has come, praise the Lord. And we have unity with the Father and with the, with the Son through his Spirit. And this is the job of the Holy Spirit in our life. And this is something you need to be aware of because you need to call on it. You need to put your trust in it. You need to ask for it, right? One of the crazy things, there's a lot of people that get out of the military and they have all these VA benefits or they have the ability to get full disability and, and all these things provided for them and like they go on for years not receiving any of those benefits because they're not even aware they're there. That happens all the time. We can do the same thing to ourselves. If we're not calling upon the Lord when he's standing right there with a, like a, hey man, this is for you, hello. We need to be aware. We need to trust in the promises of the Lord. So let's end with this. John 15, 26 through 16, 15. But when the helper comes, which he now has, whom I shall send to you from the Father, Jesus says, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. If anybody ever claims to be working in the spirit, but they're not giving strong testimony to Jesus as a constant fruit of their life, I would question whatever they're working out of. He will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember what I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Now listen to this. Oh, I said that too early. I'll say that again in a second. <laughs> but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Never, there, here's, here it is. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Listen. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Let's just, whoa, hold up. I think most of the time we have this idea, man, if Jesus was just here today, things would just be better. Jesus said, it's better that I leave. Because when Jesus was here, he was in one spot at one time. He says, but when I leave, 
my spirit, I in the spirit will come into all of you and I will be with you in all places at all times. And the purpose of the church is for us to deny ourselves and to seek the Lord in such a way that we are all filled with the spirit that we're denying and we're in Jesus is living through his people day after day. That was the desire of Jesus and that is not some fanciful sermon talk. That's the reality that we can expect and pursue in our relationship with Jesus. It's better that I leave so that I can come if you catch my drift. It is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you but if I depart, I will send him to you. But when he has come, this is the work of the Spirit. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, and he has now come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears me, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is of mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To convict us of sin and of righteousness and to guide us into all truth. There is nothing that you need in this life. There is nothing concerning um, life and godliness that is not already yours in Christ Jesus. It is there. You know, I tell people all the time not to boast, but because to be an encouragement. Uh, I've never been to seminary. I just started seminary. At this point, it's pretty easy. But, you know, I didn't have some sort of well-planned biblical study program. I didn't have all of these things. You know what I had? I had a passion and a desire for Jesus. I had a fear of God, not to speak anything he hadn't spoken. And I read the word and I prayed daily, Lord, please teach me because I have no idea what I'm doing. And day after day after day after day, God taught me and taught me and taught me. And I got a lot of really strong biblical conservative pastor friends and if I was preaching anything heretical, trust me, they'd let me know. The scriptures are there for you to understand, okay? And, um, and to this day, my ministry is still the same. Lord, I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but Lord, you know. Lord, you know what these people need to hear. Will you just tell me and I'll go speak it? Amen and hallelujah. That's still the way I minister to this day. Nothing has changed. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He will convict the word and he will testify of Jesus. And if you are filled with the Spirit, your life will testify of Jesus. So humble yourself and cry out to the Lord because he's already there if you indeed have been born again by his Spirit. He's already there waiting to empower and equip you in the power of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, Lord, that sometimes it's daunting, but Father, as things come together, Lord, the picture is clear. Lord, you're not hiding from us, Father. There's no cryptic message. There's nothing that we need some higher knowledge. No, Lord, 
You are the God who reveals himself to your people, Lord. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, your love for us is so perfect and complete. We cannot even begin to understand it, but we thank you for the little bit of understanding that you've given us today, that your spirit is with us, and that if anybody submits their life to Jesus to believe and to be baptized, they are filled with your presence, and there is nothing, nothing spiritually, physically that could ever separate us from that love because you seal us until the day of the purchased possession. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for submerging us in your love and in your presence forever. We honor you in Jesus' mighty name, amen.